first year out of uni, you want to be making sure that you're doing your class twos perfectly. You want to be able to do quadrant industry, your isolation, your rubber dam, your procedure composites. You want to start feeling confident about this stuff before you kind of you know, expand your toolbox. And it's very common that we don't have to be all everything. You don't have to be the, the perfect practice owner slash specialist or slash super GP. It can be one and not the others. The thing that kind of drive me towards wanting to become a specialist, I really like the presenter. Like I really have this kind of sweet spot for specialists when they talk because you really feel how they not just that they enjoy what they do and they but how much they know as well so the knowledge that they were able to show in those cpd courses made me always think i'd love to be one of them in my head it's always about the balance success can be your patients busy being seeing patients your business your family your personal life and but what's your, success your, for your, you your headspace yeah. for me it's the balance of all this the CBD Junkie Dental Podcast is about connecting with passionate Australian dentists who are improving themselves and have attended various CPD courses. My aim is to find out for you the best CPD courses around and what they did to help get them to where they are today. So, you can consider doing it and becoming the best dentist you can be quicker. Hi CPD Junkie fam, I'm your host Lawrence Doan and today we're joined by Dr. Hassam El-Haddad. He graduated from Cairo, Egypt in 2006 before relocating to Australia in 2010. He obtained a fellowship in the RACDS in 2015 and graduated with a Declan Dent in Pros from Melbourne in 2018. He is a lecturer and a clinical supervisor at the University of Melbourne's Dental School where he is a coordinator of the implant component of the DDS students and the academic lead of the CPD. He further serves as a reviewer for the Australian Dental Journal, a committee member of the um, APS, and is currently the Victorian representative within its federal commu- committee. Dr. Hassan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Lawrence. Well, thanks for introducing me. <laughs> so, yeah, we you briefly were in Egypt. Can you tell us about that time and that process and what ultimately led you to coming to Australia? Yes, of course. So, um, an Egyptian born and raised, um, lived at Cairo my whole life, and so I finished high school and joined dental school. Um, unlike every university year, and in, in back home you can actually go directly um, from high school to dentistry straight away. Uh, sort of post um, kind of post grad degree. Uh, did my dentistry, did my internship here, and I think in my third or fourth year, I probably kind of had in mind that I would like to make a move somewhere. At that point, it was in Australia. Um, I have an older brother who lives in England. He's a surgeon, and I thought at that point that I'm just going to be joining him um, over there. Uh, I finished my dental degree, and I started looking into, um, you know, countries that would take me, basically. And um, um, he got me to speak to a few dentist friends of his in the in the UK. I realized that there's actually a lot of dentists from the UK who are kind of jumping the ship and jumping NHS, NHS and moving to Australia. So that was straight away, that's okay. And Australia was one of the few places where it was, you do an exam, you pass the exam, you get accredited and you can start working. Um, unlike the US, for example, what I had to go through uni again if I wanted to practice over there. So that kind of made the decision for me. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a long stay in Cairo after I graduated. So I did work over there for two years. I finished in all states, as you mentioned, and I came to Australia in um, 2010 and I was already sitting for my exams, the ADC exams, Australian Dental Certificate exams for your listeners. I'm pretty sure we've got a lot of overseas dentist listeners 
So I did my ADCs in 20, uh, 2008, 2009, and then I moved here in 2010. Ah, so, you, so how was that process when you joined the ADC? Because from what I've heard from everyone, it's pretty difficult. And, you know, especially when it's a bit disheartening when you may not pass the first time as well. Yes, look, I, I'm, I gotta be frank. My heart goes out to all people who sit for ADCs. It's not the easiest. Um, it's not easy from the exam point of view, like you know, the theory, the hands-on, uh, the OSCEs, all this kind of stuff. But there's a lot, as you said, there's a lot of there's a lot hanging on stake basically because you're coming from the other side of the world. In my case, there's a lot of time taken off work in preparation to that exam. Um, you're leaving your family, your friends, your support group. And you're investing a lot of money in it. Um, and then you come and sit for an exam and, 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 and generally at that point of time, this is all what you can think of. I want to pass that exam so I can make a move and start, you know, starting my career. Um, and yes, it is, it is disheartening when you hear about people not working it out from the first go. And, and I got, um, I also got to complain or, or put it out there. I, I passed my part one, um, from the first go, like that was the theory part. Again, the ADC exam kind of changed in how it's set up. Nowadays, it's different to when I set it 15 years ago. Um, God, that, that's a long time. <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, so with the theory part, was it written? So that written part, you can actually sit. They had a few centers. One of them, um, uh, fortunately, was in Cairo, so I didn't have to travel for that one. And then the second part, which is the hands-on part, in my time, that was a week-long exam. So it was good six days back to back. You've got your exam going on from nine to five every day with different different exercises and different vibes and stuff like this. So uh, it wasn't the greatest experience in terms of the pressure that it generated by the exam. Mm. Um, by the third or fourth day, all you can think of are the mistakes that you've done in the past three or four days. And by the third or fourth day, like, I just want out. I just want to go home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I had to come back and reset my perio. So I passed everything but perio. Um, I had to come and sit the, re- the, the perio again four or five months later, which is again an extra, you know, extra expense. Again, a, low, a bit of pressure because you pass the perio, you've done it. If you don't pass the perio, you go back and repeat the second the second part at all. Like you repeat the whole hands-on again. So again, the pressure then is there. The exam changed a little bit right now from what I hear. It's OSCE based. It's over two days instead of a week, um, but the pressure is the same. Overseas dentist, um, there's a as I said, there's a lot of investment, time and money, uh, and a lot hanging. And the career is kind of put on pause until they pass it. The thing that put me through it was how much you wanted, how much I was keen to make the move, and I think that was the main the main push that kept me going. So even even though I I, I, I wasn't fortunate to clear everything and I had to come back to stick for the period, but at least wanting it and, 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 and seeing what I would be living and, 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 and being keen to make that move. I think that all kind of pushed me to just kind of, you know, persevere with it. Um, which, which, what I would say for people who also say, for example, just keep going. It, you, you will pass it eventually. It's just, it's just a matter of understanding the system, understanding how, how it works. The OSCE, Set up for exams is not something that at least I wasn't very um, kind of uh, aware of or mm. very um, kind of uh, trained for in in my time. So again, once you sit it one your second time, if you have to reset it again, it would be very different. There's a lot for you to learn from just the one experience. 
Mm. And so did you lean on other people um, prior to going to sitting these exams? Or I don't know, because obviously you're in a foreign country. It's, you don't have the contacts per se. It's hard to find, you know. No, totally. Look, you, you've actually hit the nail. Um, and and as I said, uh, when I was saying how I chose Australia because England was a bit too, uh, I mean, people were uh, kind of jumping in the ship, as I mentioned. One main reason for coming to Australia was I knew people who passed the exam. So it was, it's been done before, it's been tried, tested, and I've known people who have made the move. So I had a lot of um, contacts, a lot of very nice reference group that I was leaning on, as you mentioned. Um, happy to sit with you, discuss things, um, long distance phone calls. Zoom wasn't there at that point. Um, Egypt talking to people in Australia, telling me about your experience, so, so on and so forth. And, and passing on different, um, I mean, um, sorry, resources. So I remember I, I had some, and again, makes me sound old, but we had a lot of printed out, you know, materials and stuff. And I would find people's name written on it. And I didn't meet those people until I came to Australia five, six years later. We come across to, ah, so this person, it's his name on those resources that I was studying from. And then I meet them in the same both country, just different cities. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was very helpful. And I think we all kind of, without saying it, it was kind of an unsaid agreement that we were all paying it forward. Mm-hmm. They help, They got help from someone to pass the exam. They did it for me. I've done it for the people after me and so on. So it's kind of a nice, um, um, a nice cycle to go through. You get help, but then you help others afterwards, and and all in the in the in the same, like I mean, for the reason of helping people move on with their lives and 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 move on to the next place and and pursue the the career the way they want. Yeah, that's that's an incredible story. Um, just when you mentioned your brother, I I know that you did treat your brother at one point, didn't you, when you were visiting? The yes. country you guys met up, and now and now he's married and everything, isn't he? So yeah, so my brother has um he's finished school in, in in Egypt, just like I did dental school, and then he moved to to the UK. Um, I'm I'm the only dentist in my family, um, <laughs> which means that whenever I go back home, I actually take my loops on with me, because I know that I will I will always be treating someone. someone so I was gonna tap on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a, and I've got very nice friends back home that are willing to offer me the dental practice to work out from. Uh, not that I kind of see patients, but I at least really my because I go to Egypt every year. I try to go every year and visit the family. So I always go. I'd always be doing a checkup on my mum and sister, and and then if my brother needs some work because he lives in the UK, he would always wait until um, I get to see him, and then we we'll do a bit of work um, on everyone at that point. But yes, yes. So it's always. Um, like my wife laughs at me because I would use her help. She's non-dental, okay? And I'll be home. I'll be taking my brother to a friend's practice and I'll ask my wife to come and nurse for me. So <laughs> she gets she gets a bit excited. She gets a bit of kick out of it. But um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's very helpful at that point. <laughs> okay, so I want to fast forward back. Okay, so you passed the ADC exam. But is it that you make your way to Kent? Yes, yes. So that was my first job um, uh, uh, in Australia. So I'm, I'm in Cairo still, but past my exams, I want to make the move, but I don't want to come to Australia without a job kind of, you know, sorted out um, because you, you never know how long it's going to take you before you land your first job. Luckily, at that point, um, there was this um, corp uh, called Katina and Smiles. They were happy to do um, kind of not over the phone 
uh, Skype at that point, Skype uh, interviews and, and, and happy to feel real while you're still overseas. Um, so that was my first job. I landed, I went from Cairo, landed in Brisbane and then Brisbane to Keynes and I spent a year over there. And it, it was, it was again, my first experience in Australia. So I'm still getting used to the dental system, you know, item numbers. The weather. Uh, the weather. <laughs> and the weather was a big deal because I come from a desert country. It's kind of dry. I'm landing in Keynes in December or November, I reckon. So, uh, so it's full on, you know, um, humidity, <laughs> uh, wet season, lots of rain. Um, I mean... It rains in Cairo, but the, you just get a little bit of spitting, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> and then suddenly, I'm I'm sitting there in the balcony watching watching a thunderstorm and all the rain, and just I'm in awe of that old, like you know how different the weather is. Um, <laughs> but it was really nice. Like I you know it's a I'm I'm I'm, I'm sure a, a few of you listeners have been to Cairo before. Um, beautiful place to live in, beautiful nature. Um, and I was very lucky with a bunch of people I was working with as well. So I spent a year over there that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, learned a lot about the system. Um, and, and, and because over there I was working in private practice, uh, before I made the move to Melbourne, because at that point I felt as much as I loved Keynes and I still go there on holidays, but, uh, the, the, the chance for community education was unlimited. Mm. It's different now because now they've got a university, like I mean, they've got a dental school set up there. But yeah. when I was there in 2011, um, it, it, it hasn't happened, happened yet. So the chances of CPD and indication was actually quite limited. Yeah. So, well, let's dive into it. So you decided to move to Melbourne because you wanted it, because wanted more CPD opportunity. So what did you kind of dive straight into at that time? Well, I, 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 at that point, um, again, I consider myself still when I first graduated, even though in 2006 but i came to australia and it's a new place and so i was considering myself then as a, as a as a first graduate my first year in australia um and so i was kind of clear on everything and anything you know i was doing i was doing the end of the overcoat pros um kind of you know taking it all in um and 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 that was as i said that was the main reason for why i moved because i noticed you did say perio <laughs> no no i didn't I'm kind of and assess something, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, it's uh, it, it, and 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 maybe I sound like calling at some point, but um, but and and it and I think it takes some of those forces to realize that I enjoyed this one more than that one, or I really took on a lot from this course, and I went on a Monday, you know, quite quite um, excited to implement the first thing that I've learned from this course, unlike that one. And and I, I signed my calling from about pros or from pros that way. Um, I mean, um, I I didn't as as much again hats off to our orthodontic colleagues, but I did a long orthodontic course that was kind of part time over two years. And I think I think halfway through, I realized this is this is not it. You know, this is not what I want to do. And 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 I. I still continue with it because you know you're committed but that was one of the first things that i was happy to drop and not have to deal with um when i decided that i want to go into specialist training um but but i came to melbourne and i took and again i took it all in i loved the, the culture i loved the coffee i loved the weather and i loved the opportunities of of, of cpd uh the, the the closeness to um to melbourne university uh was was a big was a big kind of plus um, I think the first thing I signed up for was the 
surgical um the surgical course that Melbourne runs through the HSV. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first thing that I signed up for coming to Melbourne. I even signed up for it was it while I was still in Keynes. It's, they still run it, and it's a very popular course. And you gotta you gotta put your your name on the list quite quite early. I mean, why was that particular course the one that you struck to you to you know go gravitate towards first? I, I, so I was in Keynes. Keynes at that point had a lot of general dentists. Um, and there was just a couple of specialists. At that point, I think it was only a periodontist and a surgeon. Um, there, there was a long time to see, a long waiting time to see either of them. Um, and I remember getting stuck with a couple of extractions and it kind of hurt my ego a little bit. So, um, so knowing, and again, that it couldn't have been a problem maybe coming here to Melbourne, a lot of more, more pool of specialists to choose from and, and probably patient will be seen after or earlier. But in my case, I think because I got stuck, so I had the 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 the, the experience of getting stuck and you know sweating, um, uh, looking at the patient, looking at that kind of remaining root that you're not able to um, to to retrieve. I think that was the one thing that I really wanted to work on, um, and so that was one of the first courses I signed up for. Mm, I see, I see. So, you guys, basically, the type of courses you were picking were based around the type of work that you might have been struggling with. Is that what you're saying? And, and, and I think it's, yeah, yeah. I think this is a, a very kind of um, uh, um, easy way to direct your learning. Okay, we can sit back and say I want to learn this, 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 and this. But then what? But then once you want to work your priorities, you got to start thinking about the patients that you see the most, and what they, what sort of clientele they get to see, what sort of work do you do on day to day basis, and in and, and and this is the first thing that you want to work on and 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 make basically make better before you jump on to, you know, the, the, the next part of the industry or the next thing is to yeah. just work on what you do the most and make it and, and try and do the best of it and then move on from there. Yeah, because a common question I ask guests is, you know, what kind of advice they would give to someone who's just starting out the dental education. So, you know, to your point, yeah. And, and and I always, because again, that question is a lot, a lot you've mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of um, involved with a bit of teaching DDS3. Um, and so I still get stay in contact with the DDS4 students. And I get that question. And the thing that I tell them is like, make sure that your bread and butter is, is spot on. So, I mean, at some point you want to do implants, you'll get to do implants. But really the first year out of uni, you want to be making sure that you're doing your class tools perfectly, perfectly good. You want to, You'll be able to do quadrant dentistry, your isolation, your rubber dam, you know, your posterior composites. So it's it's this bread and butter that you'll be doing a lot of in the first year. You want to start feeling confident about this stuff before you kind of you know expand your toolbox and 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 incorporate other treatments that you can provide at the same level. So okay, carrying on from there, at some point you're working in Melbourne. You know, for everyone else, they reach a point where they start to contemplate practice ownership, being a specialist or being a super dental GP, or even starting a family. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And how did you decide? Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you my my story. I mean, I mean, every story is different because, I mean, we all have different, um, you know, your, your partners, the practice you're in, the opportunities that you come across. So right. my story could be a little bit different than others. So, um I kind of knew from the get go that I'm maybe the not the not the best businessman. Okay, I uh, and, and it's very and it's very common that we don't have to be all everything. You don't have to be the the perfect practice owner slash specialist or slash um, 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 super GP. It can be one and not the others. And I think it's it's 
it's important to realize earlier on what, like what part that we really enjoy. Some people really enjoy the managing of things and they're happy to kind of, you know, jump into ownership and then have people working for them while they kind of manage things and, and set up the perfect environment for the people to work at. It's, it's, it's not for me. And I kind of realized that early. Um, and, and I'm, again, can't talk to people who manage practices or manage even multi location practices. They're doing a, an incredible job that I don't know how they do it. Um, I'm, I'm, I find myself the happiest, um, in a chair with a chair put back and a patient there and I'm looking at them out kind of thing. Um, and so that in my head early on, after a couple of years of, of working, I realized this is my happy place and what I want to pursue. So practice ownership at that point was was not really one of the options that I um, was up up to consider. Um, my, at that point, I would go to the CPD event, and if it was delivered by a specialist, uh, and my wife can 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 vouch for that, I would come back and tell my partner at that point, which was my wife then, but I would tell her I really like the presenter. Like I really have this kind of sweet spot for specialists when they talk because you really feel how they. Not just that they enjoy what they do and they, but how much they know as well. So the knowledge that they that they were able to show in those CPD courses made me always think I'd love to be one of them. Um, and I think that was the thing that kind of drive me towards wanting to become a specialist. Um, having said that, that is the decision that I, that you or anybody else have to run with a partner. If you and and I think it applies to anything. Even if you got to set set up practice and become an owner, you still need to run it with your partner because it. It's a lot of commitment and it will take a lot of your time and a lot of your brains and you'll be sitting there and in, in, in person, but you're thinking about something else. Um, and then my wife can tell straight away, you're like, you're not listening to me anymore. You're thinking <laughs> about something. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I think in my case, I, 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 I've realized I can't, or I don't have the skills for ownership. I would like to become a specialist because I had I had a lot of uh, appreciation to what they do, um, and it was just about uh, about finding the right time. Um, at that point, I, w- w- me and my partner would met. We haven't got married yet. We've met, and I told her I would love to be a specialist, but that means three years of full time full time studying. So uh, basically, puts whatever plans we had for ourselves put put ourselves a bit later. And I'm lucky that she was very supportive. I think she might have felt it, how much I was talking, how much our time I was spending going to security courses or talking about specialists. Also, she she felt how how committed I'll be and how you know I am. And so she was very supportive, and for that I'm very thankful for her. Mm. So okay, you so to line up in the process of preparing for the specialist uh, program, you obviously did some primaries. Yes. Yes. So I, I, I did my, I, I, I want at that point, actually, I'll go a little bit back. Uh, when I, when I decided to do the primaries and the fellowship, I actually wasn't thinking about specialty yet. Okay. okay. I just wanted to, you know, it's something more to add to your um, CV. It's a bit more learning. It pushes you because, you know, there's an exam, you know, to set a date. So it pushes you to do a bit of reading and be a bit more updated. So that was when I actually um, um, kind of, went on to that adventure. Um, however, I'll, again, I'll come clean. I wasn't so keen on doing the primary because of all the basic sciences in there. At that point, uh, there was a little bit of a, a, like a, not a loophole, but basically if you've done the NJDS, 
the membership of the Joint Dental Faculties of England. If you've done part one of this, you don't have to sit for the primaries. You can go straight away to the um, to the final exam. So I did this because the MGDF exam was more dentistry based than it is um, kind of basic sciences like the primaries. So I've done that one, and then from there I went and did the uh, final exams for the fellowship. Yeah, yeah, I think that was very helpful in getting you your CV up and ready for the year after where I applied for the uh, for the specialty. Yeah, yeah, and you did those three years apart, right? You did that um, early on when you um, came to Australia, right? And then following that, you did the fellowship after that. Yeah, yeah. So I think the MGDF was was to have 13 and then 14 I set for the fellowship. I didn't pass it from the first go and then 15 I passed it. And then 16 I started my my um, my specialty training. So yes, it was over a period of time. And my mind was changing. So I, as I said, when I did the, the primaries of the MJDF, I wasn't aiming for specialty at that point. That was a bit early on. I, mm-hmm. I, I And again, um, I moved from Egypt. So I came here on a working visa a little bit late that I got my permanent residency. I wasn't going to apply for uh, what I couldn't afford applying for um, specialty training unless I'm a citizen. So um, all of that kind of worked fairly well in terms of um, in terms of time, because by the time I was done with my MGDF and then the fellowship of the Royal College, I then got my citizenship and then I could apply for um, for uh, basically the specialty training, being a citizen and kind of can get a bit of a, what do we call it? Hex? Yes. Mm-hmm. The hex. Yeah. yeah. So that you apply for the postgraduate degree. I mean, you're applying at just one university. You're applying at multiple different universities and seeing which one takes. My, my experience was um, I, I was lucky. I applied for Melbourne University. I, I wanted to stay. It would have been um, um, it would have been a bit more difficult if I'm to move because my partner wouldn't have been able to move. Um, so I think I was lucky that I applied for one, one university and I got in from the first trial. I, but I can totally see the merits of um, applying in different different centers, different training centers, different universities. And it's the advice that I give people who would speak to me now, like, what should we do? And it's like, keep your options open. You want to make sure that you're not kind of putting all your eggs in one basket kind of thing. So spread the word out that you want to get in uh, and, and by putting applications in different centers and hopefully get into into one of them. But in my case, I applied to Mary University and, and, and again, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful um, because it was uh, I was a bit lucky in terms of by the time I wanted to apply or I got my all my paperwork ready and everything, the application process actually closed. Like the application window has closed wow. for the follow the for the following year, and and so I was in 2015 and I missed the application window, and now 2016 is gone, and now I'm talking about 2017. I'm sitting one day at home. For no reason, I thought I would just jump onto Melbourne website again. And again, I don't know why, what came to me at that point. And I'm jumping there to look up and suddenly I read that the uh, Department of Prosthodontics is opening a second round of applications. I've got no <laughs> idea. And we're in October and the academic year starts, sorry, no, no, October, no, I think we're in September. The academic year starts in three or four months, four months, the next year. And they've opened a second round of applications. I've got all my paperwork ready, so I submit on the spot. I get shortlisted, I get interviewed, and I hear back from them all within the vicinity of eight, nine weeks. Wow. So suddenly, I'm starting postgrad study two months, 
and I got to, you know, I got to finish the cases that I'm working on. I got to put my notice, um, because yeah, because I've been accepted. So again, very thankful to my stars. Um, my mom was straight for me probably back home, uh, because things actually gone, kind of gone very quick for me, uh, the way I wanted basically, except that I missed the application window the first time, but there you go, pros open the second, second round of application just for me. You just never know. You just never know, hey? Exactly. Exactly. When your stars align, it works for you some some miraculous way. Yeah. I guess, in the, I mean, would you say now, you know, if you didn't miss the first round, I mean, if you missed the first round, but you're still interested, would you say just to let the universe know that you're still interested? Or like, I mean, like you said, you had no idea and you just decide, I'm just going to open up and have another look. Yeah, but I've already at that point, I've already gone to the university. I've made contact with the head of the department at that point, Roy Judge. I went and spent a day watching over the shoulders of the postgrads that were doing their training at that point. Um, I've spoken to my references already. I've given them a heads up that I would like to get in. So I think I've done all, I've, I've done all the kind of the um, laying down the work, okay? It was just about the application window that I missed. Um, but I don't think if I've done that, if I haven't done that and suddenly I'm in this short period of time, um, with a kind of second window or the second round of application, I wouldn't have been able to, again, get your references lined up, go and, 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 and make an appearance. Cause you don't want them to see you in the interview. If you got shortlisted, you don't want to see them then seeing you for the first time. So you don't cold call. Yeah. Yeah. There is a little bit of work that you do pre. So. I'm, I'm signing up for the post society. I'm, I'm attending meetings. I'm making myself visible to the people who will make that decision at some point. So they kind of know of you or know about you by the time you come in for the interview. Yeah. I, I mean, like I've talked to other colleagues as well. And to their point, like if you're looking at specializing, that's exactly what they say, you know, dentistry is a small community and it's a simple reach out and they're very welcoming and letting you in. Yeah, 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 and, and and that's the thing. So you want to have those not not connections. I'm not saying like you're gonna ask favors, but you want to have those connections um, and 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 have those discussions and and hear from other postgrads about their experience um, because again, everything adds up to yeah. paint the picture for you as clear as it could be. Because again, there were, there's always a surprise when you're in it than when you're hearing about it from outside. Which is actually what I'm going to go to next. So, all right, you hear about everyone's journey through their postgraduate, um, their specialist program. What was the most challenging part of the specialist program, and how did you overcome it? Um, I think again, I think that you don't know what you don't know. So, uh, again, not like na- naive me, I thought, ah, oh, it's pros. I'm going to go in there and from day one. I'm going to be preparing crowns. Only to realize that the first crown prep is probably six, seven months in, okay? Because you've got all the all the work that you need to do, the diagnostics, the the, the the lab work. So I think for me, the the biggest challenge getting in at the beginning was the amount of lab work required. So in, in pros, um, we do a lot of lab work ourselves. So all your wax stops, all your mounting, your articulation, um, your your denture work, setting up of teeth, all of this, you do yourself. So for every three-hour clinical session that you're doing, it translates to good five, six hours in the lab um, afterwards because you, you're happy with yourself. You just prep, you know, three or three and you take an impression. Now you have to pour dyes, trim dyes, ditch the dyes, or marginate them, uh, articulate, 
have everything ready before it goes to the lab. The lab is just doing the final part. And you've done before that, you've done the wax up, of course. So the amount of lab work was enormous. Um, this reminds enormous. me of like an analogy in the kitchen, you know, when you see the, the chef, you know, cooking, but all the prep work, he's all done all that prep work behind yeah. or throughout the day. You don't see that. You just see him, you know, doing, you know, the, and, the, the walks on. And that video, that 10 minute video of just the meat coming together. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a trap because I fall for that trap. I look up videos for new recipes like, oh, that looks easy. <laughs> it's because I haven't seen the prep work, and it's the same thing here. So, um, I, I walked in. I didn't know much about what involved in terms of how intense the course is and the hours required, and that was a little bit of a shock for me. Um, that it took me a good year to get accustomed to uh, the longer hours and and going back home. At, nine ten o'clock at night and then starting an early day next day straight away um but again i gotta give credit to the group that i was with um um the, the, in my year dr carlina dr charlie um we ended up very being very very close um and that kind of helped because it can make a huge difference if you actually get along and you're kind of good friends with the group that you are spending what good 12 hours every day sitting side by side in the lab plus in the clinic of course so um with with them being there and 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 basically feeling that it's not just you who's you know who's having a hard time or who's struggling or is you know or is making mistakes you're seeing that also happening um you know on the bench next door uh it makes you it makes you just kind of able to persevere a bit more mm. so that's how you kind of overcame it so um what was the most interesting case that you've ever worked on and what did you learn from it? doesn't have to be during pros or it could be after, like... Yeah, look, I think I think we all, as dentists, and I think everybody sh shares this view, that we, we, we're very fortunate in, in, in the kind of the work that we do and how we can see the immediate impact of our work on patients. And and uh, and every dentist out there is gonna is gonna feel this, whether it's actually a one tooth or mouth rehab or getting patient out of pain uh, by doing an endor extraction. I think it all kind of gives us this immediate gratification once we finish the work and it turns out nice. In my case, it was actually um, it was actually a case I've done during my my, my training, um, and I think the complexity of the case or 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 why it meant more for me it was because it was a rehab of a cancer patient. So you really, really see the impact of the work that you've done in terms of the quality of life for, for the patient. So um, that patient, unfortunately, had um, uh, an amoeblastoma. Yeah, it's very they big. Had, yes, they had a reconstruction of the mandible with a stibular graft um, uh, from the leg. And uh, I mean, nowadays things kind of changed in terms of um, with the digital workflow and digital planning. Things can actually happen faster. And I've seen amazing work from prosthodonts out there, Dr. Gordon Burt, for example, he does a lot of work in, 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 in with, the, with the cancer patients um, in terms of what they call teeth in a day. So the tibial graft and the implants and the teeth are going in the same day. That wasn't for me. That wasn't in my case. Um, in my case, the patient has been on a liquid diet for two years because they've got no teeth at all in the bottom mm. and some teeth at the top. And so doing the um the kind of the implant rehabilitation for um placing not placing myself implants but having the max facts place the implants and then having a bar um a bar over denture and how massive teeth change not just from the look not just sorry from function but even the look mm. um 
and she was such a nice lady, very appreciative. She would come back every time I'm seeing her for a review. She's coming and telling me what did she eat in the last week? Yeah, um, because all of those things they were to her they were just kind of dreams. Um, she wouldn't be able to eat any of them. Everything was kind of you know blended together, and it's like a sludge of food that she was having. Uh, so I think I, I still look back at those pictures and I still use her pictures and cases in 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 in, in presentations. Because I think that was, I was fortunate to be, um, you know, to be the one who treated her. And I, of course, alongside the Max Facts people who've done, you know, you know they, they do miracles over there. Um, we ended up seeing the impact of the work that we do. Mm, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. It's always, it's always that, you know, how you change someone's life. That's the one that leaves the biggest impact on you. Hey. And, and and it doesn't to be like it doesn't have to be the full on you know max facts cancer case. You can you can you can see that you've changed life for a young for example for a young patient who doesn't like the smile with a bit of direct opposite bonding and then suddenly they get the confidence to smile more and show more of the of the teeth and 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 that is uh, that is the kind of the same impact just different different people different mindsets and everything but it's almost the same kind of gratification that we see as well. So it doesn't have to be you know, the high end of implant dentistry, you can still change, we can still change lives with, with, um, as little as just a little bit of direct composite bonding and beauty. Mm. So you come out the, the other side of the tunnel of the specialist program, right? Yes. Did what you expect differ to what actually happened? Um, a bit, I mean, after the life after. Yeah. Um, look in terms of the work or in the cases, um, um, again, the, you see the, you, I think we see the most complex cases when we're working in the public sector. So when, when you're doing your training and in my training, we we're, we're doing training through DHSV. Uh, so we're, 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 we're placed in the Royal Dental Melbourne hospital. So you get all those kind of very complex cases through the hospital that otherwise you would not see in private practice. Mm. Um, and, and I think that was one thing. Uh, which is great about the training. You train, you train to treat the most complex, but then you walk out, and then suddenly things—they're like, oh, it's not as complicated as it was at uni." Um, and I think that's like a little bit of a, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a relief. Not that you can't manage them, but it's, uh, it's not all like this. Okay, uh, yeah. you get the complex case every now and then, but, but at uni, I think it's meant to be that you get all those kind of, you know, complicated cases that come through the hospital. Um, the thing that we that you didn't get um, kind of heads up for until you're working is specialist is the amount of paperwork, the amount of letters, reports uh, that have to be sent out, and 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 for every patient that you see, and for example, if I need to refer them to another, you know, specialty like again, get a root canal treatment done or you can do a periodontist, now suddenly I'm writing a report for that. For that specialist, I'm writing a report for the general dentist sort of it to me, and I'm probably writing a, a report in a kind of a lay terms for the patient himself about the treatment plan and options and a quote and stuff like that. So then you realize that for every patient you see or every new patient, uh, there's at least two, if not three, letters be needed to be typed and sent out. So I think we all get um, so excited about the the work but we don't think about the amount of paperwork that comes you know comes um sticking to it yeah that was a little bit of a surprise um and and, and then suddenly you have to uh, um, allocate time for this 
um, whether you're going to be doing, whether you're going to be sacrificing your lunch break, you're going to stay behind a bit later at the practice, or you're going to do it in the weekend, in the morning when the rest of your family is still asleep. So you have you have to come up with a time to to do the paperwork required. Wow, can't put it on a dictaphone and then send it to someone to type it all out for you, eh? At some some people do that. I'm not there yet. Okay, so I've seen I've seen some of my um, uh, mentors um, when I was kind of uh, shadowing them during my during my training. I would go and spend a day, and I've seen people who, I mean, I've seen I've seen Doctor End of Claude, uh, may rest in peace. Um, he was able to dictate it while the patient is in the chair and he's looking at the OPG. So he'll have the OPG up, he'll have the patient there, and and he'll be looking at the patient, and he's not dictating the note to the nurse to write down or some. Uh, you know, some charting. He's basically dictating the, the the letter because everything in his head, being being a present for thirty plus years, everything is in head is kind of makes sense. So it's straight away, it's coming out very slowly. Um, I tried in the case dictating um softwares, you know, the software dictator, and then type straight away for you. And because I'm still, I need to write a letter, and I'm coming. I I think about it, and I do some umming and ahhing, you know, and those kind of other <laughs> words. The software doesn't like. <laughs> so, um, so maybe, maybe at some point I'll be able to, but for now, um, I said, write my letter and I kind of go through it again, kind of as an edit, editing, um, kind of a go proofread it again before it's sent out. Uh, at some point, if I get too flowy with my letters, then probably I can resort to one of those, uh, those software, but not yet. Yeah, you so now I have to do the hard work. You just need to control find all the ums and then just delete them all. No, joke. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so obviously the, the reason why I also asked you that question is because interestingly, you worked in Tasmania and Victoria at the same time when you graduated, right? So how was yeah. that? And, you know, I would have thought people would have just, you know, stayed in the one place. Uh, look, I'm, I, I gotta be honest. If I was, if I, if I came across the, uh, chance to work in one place for the whole week, I'd have taken it. Okay. Um, but I, 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 again, as a procedondas, we were told when we were closed in training, you're, we were told it will take you one year outside to build a day of pasting. So for every year spent outside, then you can build the second day and a third day and so on and so forth. And, and you think that, nah, maybe that person is a bit too pessimistic. Maybe I'm different, but it, it is what it is. You walk out and as a procedondas, you got to build a name for yourself and you, you need people to know you to refer to you, of course. So my first job in Melbourne here um, was was a two day job, and I wanted to fill you know a little bit more of my week. So besides a bit of teaching, I decided to do this kind of fly and fly out um, to Tasmania to Launceston, basically. Um, Tasmania is a beautiful place for for I mean for for the place to live. Even um, I didn't get a chance to relocate because again I was based in Melbourne. My my, my wife's here and family and so on, but. Um, but unfortunately, Tasmania doesn't have a prosthodontist base there. Okay, all the prosthodontists who serve Tasmania are fly and fly out. Mm. There are people from Adelaide who go to Hobart, and mm. there are people from Victoria, from Melbourne that go to Launceston. And I was one of the three people who used to uh, alternate and go to Launceston and do some work there. So I was there every three to four weeks. I'd spend a day or two um, seeing patients over there, and I, I wasn't ready to give it up it was just covid covid hit and tasmania was very strict about the rules um they i mean australia was strict and then the tasmania there was tasmania strict though. yeah 
they completely locked themselves out. Um, and so I had the, I had to, I had to go to sleep at night knowing that I've got temporary crowns in patient's mouth that are not going to receive the final crowns until the borders open. So it was either sending the work to um, a dentist, the local dentist over there who can kind of insert it for me or patients who are willing to wait. And the question was how long my temporaries are going to stand the test of time. Um, luckily for a lot of them, they stood the test of time. And when the borders opened, I was able to go back again. But at that point, Melbourne has kind of really picked up for me. Um, I got my hands in a few, you know, my fingers in a few pies. And, and that meant that I needed to kind of just kind of um, cut out a few things. And unfortunately, Tasmania was was um, one of the things that I could not continue doing. So I'm, I'm, I've wanted out, I've wanted down a, 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 a lot of my days that I do there, starting at the beginning of this year. I mm. think I've got maybe one or two more visits, but it's mostly you know, it's mostly Victoria from now on. I can only imagine your wife being like, "I thought we were done, and you're still gone. You're still flying." <laughs> I would, I would, I would sometimes kind of bribe her by, "Let's make it a trip." So I'm working Monday, Tuesday. Let's go on a weekend and a weekend there. And um, she grew up in Tasmania. I mean, okay. she now has moved here, but uh, she grew up in Tasmania, so she's always happy to go back for 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 a, for a visit. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you, who, I mean, you mentioned a fair few names, you know, who's been pivotal in your career path uh, for various different reasons, you know. Um, is there any one in particular you also want to give another shout out to that you haven't already mentioned? I mean, not to put the pressure on. Look, it'll be hard to mention a name. I think again, I was lucky that I had the opportunity to, um, before even getting into the program, uh, getting in touch with a few prosthodists who were happy to have me over, um, you know, discuss what they do, kind of get get a better understanding of what what being a prosthodist means. Um, um, I, I'll be very hard. It'll be very kind of um, hard to just put it all onto one name. I mentioned a couple of names and I put on top of that um, Roy Judge, the head of the pros when I was doing my my, my training. I'll put Tony Rotondo. I think he's the, he's the person that a lot of dental people in Australia look up to. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a great clinician and, and an amazing um, kind of uh, teacher as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I think That's I, I, I was yeah. lucky with the people I work with and, 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 and learn from. Yeah. I mean, you've mentioned some struggles already in your journey so far, right? But have there been any other struggles that maybe some of our reviewers also might not have known about? Um, okay. So some people know about that because I'm, I'm, I'm not kind of, um, I'm not afraid of mentioning it. And I mentioned it to, to my students and, and, and all the grads who join the program. When I joined pros, I had zero experience with implants, whether surgically or restoratively. Um, I was kind of more focused on what I was doing in the practice I was working at at that point. So this was the, the, the CDPD that I was kind of keen to join and the, and the skills that I need to, or I'm keen to, you know, to sharpen. Mm-hmm. Um, because the practice I was working at, um, they weren't big on implants. I kind of missed the opportunity of learning about implants before I joined the course. So when I got into the course, I I felt I like I'm 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 a bit behind. Mm. Um, I'm joining with people who have either placed implants or restored implants or both. 
one of my peers in a, in a program I've done the uh, grad bit, the implant mm-hmm. grad bit at Melbourne Uni. So there was a lot of implant experience amongst the group that I was part of and I was kind of, that I was lacking. Yeah. So so that was a struggle at, at, at a good first year is that I had a lot of catch up um, to do, which spent a lot of reading back home and a lot of, and we involved from day one with a bit of teaching for DDS3. And I know the, the, the implant component isn't as extensive, but it's still, from me, it required, you know, a fair bit of pre-preparation so I know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. So I think that was the biggest struggle that I had in my first year, is feeling a little bit behind and feeling that there's always a bit of a catch-up that you want to do just to be on the same level as people that you're in the same year with. Yeah. Um, but again, and I tell that story to 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 postgrads who just joined so that they don't feel that they... Because this is the feeling that you get once you're in the postgrad, like, oh my God, there's so much that I don't know. Yeah. Is that you'll have plenty of time to to learn as long as you put in the, you know, put in the effort. of it. Um, and a lot of people around you help. Um, so just the fact that you've joined postgrad and you don't know this or that, you will all end up knowing what you need to know and learning what you need to learn. But it's just that you will need to put a bit more effort than the person sitting next to you. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you mentioned it here a little bit there already because, you know, a lot of graduates want mentoring, but they interpret that differently. So what are your thoughts on recent graduates looking for mentoring? I, I, I think it, it depends on how this person feels comfortable in, in their mentoring. So, for example, a, 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 recent, a recent graduate might feel that the, what they need is, is shadowing, watching over your shoulder, doing the work and asking questions on the spot. Somebody else might be more about like um, uh, they need the hands, not not literally hands held, but they need more kind of mentoring or direct mentoring. Some would be wanting just um, a a a chance to chit chat about the case before something mm-hmm. comes in, so that you can get get their kind of you know their their, their ideas straight in the mind. So I think the stress graduate or the kind of you know, you know the, the the green graduate needs to kind of talk talk amongst themselves, talk to themselves, realize what is it that I'm after, what is, what sort of mentoring am I after, and whether that means that do I have to be work, working in this practice next to that mentor, or could it be somebody who works more, you know, more remotely in another practice, but I can visit or I can um, bounce the ideas off, you know, mm. in, in a, over, over, over a coffee on a weekend or something. So I think it depends on what you're after. And then from there, you can see who's, who's happy to give you the kind of mentoring that you're after. Um, I myself was more of a shadowing person. I'd like to be, like you know, in the room. You do your thing. I'll just watch over, and I, I won't try to interrupt. But I'll wait for the patient to be out, and then I'll ask you questions about what 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 just happened. And that was for me was um was 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 very helpful um before postgrad and even I mean before postgrad and during postgrad and, and note taking. That was that was my kind of mentor that I wanted, and I was I was glad to have a lot of people willing to to do this and and in the same way and giving it back that's also the thing that i'm happy to um to to do for um people who are happy to come and watch i'm like yeah come and watch me i'm, I'm happy to do that um or we're happy to do any um treatment plan discussions and mentoring that's also another thing that i really enjoy sitting you know with a an opg a few models a few pictures and then just discuss it all mm. Well, you know, if after today you get a whole bunch of DMs, you know what's happening. You ask for it. Yeah, why? 
<laughs> no, okay, so you're an academic lead for the CPD at Melbourne Dental School, right? That's an exciting title. But what does that involve and what achievements are you proud of so far? So that, that's, a, that's a role I took on um, in the, in the either right before COVID or as COVID started. Okay, So it wasn't the nicest kind of start for uh, a, a role like that because suddenly all our ideas of how to run CPD is, has changed and we had a almost a year of just kind of online um canceling a lot of things rescheduling a lot of things but also um online um webinars for most of the ppd that we were able to deliver uh during that time yeah so, so, so a bunch of lights hey you had all these lights set up the mannequin and yeah. thing and 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 it, it kind of it's it's one of the things that actually uh kept me sane during COVID because you know how the industry got impacted big time, uh, but we don't do we don't deal with a lot of emergencies as as prosthodontists. Mm-hmm. So I actually had very little clinical work to do during during the kind of the strict lockdowns. But it was actually that role of the CPD um, academic or CPD director I remember that kind of kept me sane because kept me busy. Um, the uh, I inherited a tenable that Melbourne Dental School kind of tends to run, and from there, I, I we started looking among the CBD committee about how can we, you know, how can we make it better? What courses need um, a bit of um, a bit of you know zhuzhing? What courses <laughs> need to be dropped out? What new courses can we can we add to the to the calendar? What are people interested in? You know, um, and 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 how can we? And and I think people also realize that I can do actually CBD from home. I don't have to take time off you know, time off work, okay, and the income that lost during that time of yeah. doing a CPD. So we we started kind of at least having a hybrid um, kind, of, kind of set up for all our courses. So you don't have to come and sit for a half-day lectures, for example, and then have a day hands-on. What if we are able to deliver all the lectures and online, or like all the content, all the didactic content online, and then you can just come, be coming in for the hands-on. Um, which kind of saves you saves out at least time um, that they take off work, but also we found a lot of positive feedback from doing on the the, the, the didactic content online because they can listen to it in their own time, um, kind of kind of digest it their own at their own pace, and then come up with questions. So mm-hmm. this was the, we we kind of realized that this is a nicer um, setup for delivery of the CPD courses. So that's been. Our main challenge is to get to our demonstrators and people who deliver the the um, the, the the CPD content, and then ask them to record things, and then it's edited, and then it's kind of uploaded. So it's just the kind of asking for favors because usually that would be our CPD provider coming in, giving a lecture, and now I'm asking them to pre-record and then assign a time for online Q and A. So there was a lot to ask our you know providers to do for us, but. Luckily, they're all very helpful and very understanding of the change in in how things um, are going to be done in terms of CPD uh, delivery. Yeah. I mean, I just remember the time when, you know, lectures you had to physically attend and the the, the lecturers themselves were like not really for being recorded because it would affect attendance and whatnot. But to your point, and now after COVID, you know, it's it's kind of accepted and, you know, it, it does in one way, I mean, put more pressure on the the person themselves, like the student themselves um, or the dentist themselves who's attending 
to actively go and learn. No, we're not going to be spoon feeding you anymore. Yes. Um, to really get the most out of it. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 again, it's um, we're trying to help in, in today's economy. Again, is to try to limit the amount of time that you'll miss at the practice. Um, because I, we we all know not all CBD courses can be run on a Saturday Sunday kind of thing. Sometimes they will be on weekdays, and so it's all about how how much time are going to be are you going to lose to gain CPD. Yeah, exactly. I think um, you've hit the nail on the head there because um, you've experienced it too. And a lot of uh, when I speak to colleagues as well, they have the same kind of issue. You know, do I fly interstate to attend you know this lecture that's gonna you know have to figure out accommodation? You know, the flights there beforehand, so I'm not taking out just the CPD dates, but also you know, maybe the day before or the day after. Yeah. Um, exactly. And then with people nowadays, when they're so committed to so many different other things, family or whatnot, um, that also adds an extra burden. So, you know, that's great to hear. So I'm looking forward to hearing about those VR headsets and gla- and smart glasses for those implant educators. Eh? We, we actually had a trial on them. Uh, so that was through uh, through ITI on Sherman. So uh, we, 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 I think we had a run... Um, we, we, we had to just kind of play play with it, but I think Summer now is running kind of a multi-center study. Um, so it's an implant course, but they would be kind of doing it to, you know, to two groups of people. One group would be getting the normal kind of, you know, um, education and the other ones pl- on top of the normal education, normal lectures, they'll be getting the, uh, the smart glasses and the VR. And we're trying to see if that would actually impact the learning, the, the learning out. So how learning objectives can get through to two groups and how can those small like extra gadgets add to the learning outcomes and whether, so can I have a proper kind of idea whether actually all this kind of fancy gadgets do they add really to the value of the learning or not? Yeah. I mean, I, I've yeah. seen like the, um, the machines where, you know, you put your hand underneath some sort of camera that kind of, you know, vibrates and it feels like you're really cutting into tooth. Really? Um, yeah, exactly. And, and, um, from the colleagues I've spoken to, and they've said that it actually feels like you're cutting tooth to a certain I haven't had a chance to work with them. I see because, um, Melbourne Uni, Melbourne School has one of those, uh, not one, it has actually few of those, like 20 or something that they have those 3D, um, drilling, drilling machines that we can call them. Yeah. And, um, and luckily for them, I think DDS2, they get a chance to practice on them, uh, I, I kind of walk by and they're all wearing those kind of glasses and they're really in like in nothing. They're all in thin air, you know, and doing this. But yeah, uh, it, it looks exciting. But I think this is where where technology is going and we're just adapting and we're using technology in our favor, not just in not just in treating patients, but also in in educating um, young dentists. Yeah, it's it's a crazy crazy um, time to see. Looking forward. Um, so you know. A lot of uh, our listeners are young and hungry dentists, as we've just mentioned, you know, who are aiming to achieve, achieve large goals, you know. What would, I mean, I want to ask you, you know, what does success look like for you in the future? For me, for the future, I think I think it's about the, the balance. In my head, it's always about the balance um, because, again, you, you don't want to kind of go into one tangent for getting the other so so i, I mean success can be can be your, your 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 patients of course and and busy being seeing patients your 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 business your family 
your personal life. Yeah. Uh, but what's success your, for your, you? Your headspace. Yeah. For me, it's again, it's the balance of all this. For me, I would, I, I'd, I'd like to be working four days a week, so so I can still give three days for for now for 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 my family. Um, my wife and I were we're, we're we're tired for kids, so we're trying to get a family now. So I know that this is going to be something that I will need to maybe make myself less available for work and more time given given for for the family, which I don't have to do now because we're not looking after little kids, but we will hopefully point um so for me it's about that balance if i'm working four days a week in clinic and i've got three days completely off without having to do paperwork uh during those those three days i think that is a, a very nice um spot to be at um i don't want to cut ties with with the university i don't want to lose my um the teaching part that i do so um so i i still enjoy my um relationships with with the students um and and again i think it's like i i had i had a lot of respect to my demonstrators because i know that they're giving out you know precious time of theirs to be there and teach us so i that that's that's what i want to do back so this is usually the balance that i'll, I'll be looking for in time to come yeah so to wrap it all up i mean there's so many questions i want to ask you but just to wrap it all up now um, do you have any wise words of wisdom for the budding young dentist? And, you know, what do you think the key skills or attributes they, that they should be focusing on developing? Well, I, I think, and this is coming from, from personal experience, it's about not kind of, you, you're not, don't act like a lone island. You're not an island, okay? You're part of a big group of people like your students or like the, 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 your group of, of peers. Uh, learn of each other. Okay, that trickling effect. Okay, from 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 different um, from from I mean from one clinician to the other or from one student to the other really helps. You don't have to make all the mistakes. Okay, you can only do you know this bunch of mistakes, and then you're the person next to you is going to do the other bunch, and then you're learning from them because you're watching and you're talking. So I think I think talk to each other. Uh, uh, there's there's nothing wrong about making a mistake as long as you can learn from it. And, 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 and really talk to your peers. And the peers are not just the people in the same class or the same group, but also the older ones. So, I mean, post-grad learning or, or, or post-grad kind of setup is made that way. We're sharing the same space with the second years and third years as the first year because there's this kind of trickling down effect. So before you go to your demonstrator and asking them questions, we're basically asking each other first and learning of each other because probably somebody has seen a case similar to yours. And probably they kind of stuffed it somehow or some way. And mm. then you're learning from them so you're not repeating the same mistake. So for young dentists, talk to each other, learn from each other's mistakes. The more you do, the more mistakes you make. It's it's part of life. And and that will just continue with you. It's just about how you deal with the complications. So in my head, you always want to start a procedure if you're able to either finish it or you can deal with the complications. So I think, and, and I think that was, that was kind of taught to me and I kind of always have it in the back of my mind. And maybe that was why I joined a specialty training is I wanted to be very comfortable in doing a few things, not everything, doing a few things well and being able to manage the complications when they happen because they will happen. Complications just part of life. Yeah. So Dr. Hassan, thank you for coming on the show today. If you could let the people know how they can find you. 
Um, so I'm very contactable via um, Instagram. So, um, I mean, Instagram is part of our daily life now. There's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big learning teaching platform, dental platform. So um, I'm pretty sure in the description of this video, you'll be putting the, um, the, the uh, kind of Instagram page. But yes, please message me if you've got any questions about, um, about my, 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 my trip through the industry or about pros uh, if you're interested. And, um, and I'm more happy to answer that. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends. And we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.